Welcome to the inaugural episode of Litigation Briefs, Media Shorts on Law and Courts. I'm Scott Dodson, a distinguished professor of law at UC Hastings College of the Law and the director of the Center for Litigation Courts, which produces this series. Have you, have you ever heard a lawyer joke that praised lawyers? I haven't. I'm not sure one exists. Lawyers who litigate seem to get a particularly bad rap. No doubt that is in part because of the style of litigation that we have in America. The no holds barred, aggressively adversarial attitude that's often portrayed negatively in the media and in Hollywood. But is that portrayal accurate? And if so, why then do we have such a litigation system? Today, I want to explore the role that civil litigation plays in American society. And here to help me do that is my guest, Alexander Lahav, the Ellen Ash Peters Professor of Law at the University of Connecticut School of Law and the author of the book, In Praise of Litigation. Alexandra, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Let's start with some basics. What is civil litigation in a nutshell? So um, it might be easiest to think of civil litigation in contrast to two other sort of well-known ways of dealing with disputes that arise in society. So one, on the one hand, you have the criminal justice system. And in, that's a system where the state um, brings an action against somebody for committing a crime and the result is either they pay a fine or more often uh, go to jail. Um, on the other hand, we have private dispute resolution systems like arbitration systems. So most of the people in the audience, those of you listening, you're probably subject to an arbitration regime, uh, for example, for disputes that arise out of your credit card or your phone or your cell phone contract, things like that. Um, and those are purely private um, dispute resolution systems. And in the middle is the civil justice system, which is a public dispute resolution system. We all pay for it through our tax dollars. And it resolves claims that <clears throat> involve uh, usually money damages. So if you have a breach of contract or a tort, like a car accident, um, and it can get obviously more elaborate than that, um, it would be heard in that civil justice system. Um, when we think of the, the jury, right? Juries decide criminal cases, but they also decide uh, civil cases. Okay, so uh, with those basics in mind, let's tackle the negative image that civil litigation has in America. Why does it have that image? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, let's start out with what is that image before we talk about, well, why would we have it? Um, and so the, the general, I think, view or a common view is that um, civil litigation is um, too common, that it is that people sue for no good reason. And it is very abusive to the person being sued. Um, and <clears throat> so you hear a lot about frivolous litigation. Uh, sometimes the press uh, will report um, about cases that seem outrageous, like somebody suing for a million dollars because the dry cleaner didn't clean their pants right, stuff like that. Um, sometimes you hear stories about outrageous jury verdicts where you think, wow, well, that can't be right. You know, how can it be that, you know, there's a $2 billion verdict? Um, and so I think it creates a perception that it's a very 
aggressive, overweening uh, system that damages innocent people, basically. Um, and so why do we have that image of it? I, I think part of it has been um, a long media campaign by certain business interests that um, have been the subject of ongoing litigation for a variety of reasons. Um, not all of the litigation against business interests is good litigation. That is, they're sometimes wronged within that system. Um, and it's generally, I think, in the interest um, of the business community, if you think about like the Chamber of Commerce and uh, groups like that to limit the expense associated um, with litigation. So that's a big part of what drives it. Um, another part of what drives it, I think, is a sense um, that uh, the stories of workaday ordinary litigation that comes out basically right are not very interesting. So if there's a contract dispute and it's resolved for you know, whatever the contract was worth and there aren't punitive damages associated with it, it's just not very exciting. And so it's not gonna be reported on. And the result is that you have this skewed view of kind of an out of control system that doesn't really reflect most of what um, the system does. Um, and it gives a sort of weird sense an inappropriate sense, I think, of what it's about. That is, why would we have a civil justice system? And I just wanna say one other thing before you know, we move on, which is that um, this general sense that it's out of control um, and maybe largely unnecessary is not just among certain business interests, but it's, it's actually um, infiltrated or come into play um, um, in the judiciary and in uh, Congress and state legislatures as well. So um, a lot of uh, lawmakers, you'll hear them talk or they'll propose bills that try to limit litigation. Um, the Supreme Court, when Justice, Chief Justice Roberts issues his annual report, has in the past um, lamented uh, the litigation system as being overweening in this kind of way that I describe. Um, and so there, there, there's a way in which it's a larger thing than just a narrow set of interests. It, it's become sort of a standard trope about what litigation is in America, um, which isn't to say, I don't wanna in, imply that it's all good, but, but just to say that's where I think it originated in some particular interests, but has become really quite widespread uh, over time. So, um, so you know, you've talked a little bit about how some of the sensational cases, you know, could be actually some bad litigation, and that has given litigation in general kind of a, a bad rap. But uh, I want to move to the point of the episode. Why, why then do we even have the litigation system that we do? Yeah. So, um, so I, this is the argument from my book. Um, I think that we have uh, the litigation system that we do because we have basically a, I guess I would put it a citizen-centered um, approach to the relationship between the individual and the state. And what litigation does is it, it does two things. Um, one is civil litigation. One is it allows individuals to have recourse against the state for wrongs that the state has done to them. The other thing it does is it empowers individuals 
to sue one another with a neutral arbiter that's funded by the state to determine the dispute between them. And this second thing is really important for maintaining basically a civilized country. And it's really underappreciated. That is, it's, it's sort of interesting to think about a thought experiment. What if you didn't have a civil justice system? What if you had nowhere to go? And you know, arbitration, one under, underappreciated aspect of arbitration is it's incredibly expensive because uh, to the litigant, which is not to say that litigation in courts isn't expensive, but arbitration is expensive because not only are you paying for your lawyer if you have one, but you're also paying for the system itself. That is somebody has to pay that arbitrator and it's usually the participants who pay the arbitrator, right? So, um, uh, but imagine a world where you couldn't access justice at all, where you had no third party neutral. What would you do? Um, and so you might develop ways of resolving it with your neighbor, of resolving whatever disputes arise with your neighbors and friends, um, you know, informally, right? And that's what a lot of, uh, you, what we see in places where we don't have formalized justice systems. But the other thing that sometimes happens is that people resort to violence. So part of what inspired actually my book and my area of research was reading an article um, uh, about China's uh, malpractice litigation system. So how do, do medical malpractice disputes get resolved in China? This article's uh, probably at least 10 years old now. And one of the things I learned was that at the time that it was written, there really wasn't a way to resolve these disputes in the courts. There just wasn't a cause of action. So what people would do is the families of people who'd been injured would stand outside the hospital and protest with like signs in order to get the attention of the hospital and the doctor. And if that didn't work, sometimes they would assault the doctor or try to kill him. And there's a famous, I guess, a big case where somebody tried to do that. And that's when people are very angry and they've suffered a terrible loss. They have to be able to go somewhere for answers about what happened. And if they can't go to the civil justice system, you have to ask yourself, where are they gonna go and what are they gonna do? And I, I would suggest to you that at least part of the time they're gonna resort to self-help. And that isn't a good uh, society that, I, actually it's not a society that I wanna live in. Um, and so this is a way for us to resolve our disputes between one another in a fair, way with a neutral arbiter that we can trust in a public way so that we know how the dispute was resolved and so that the next time we have guidance about what to do. Um, and that's really, I think, an important aspect of like sort of the civil society promoting peace of what civil litigation is all about. Because people don't really, I don't think people want to always lump whatever bad thing happened to them happily and just go on with life. That is, it's hard for people sometimes to forget about it, especially if the loss is significant. And so, that, so that's, those are sort of the two things I think are really important about civil litigation. One is the government piece, and two is the, as between private parties um, piece. So that, I think that's a really nice illustration about why uh, a civilized society needs at least some kind of civil litigation system, some public system to resolve disputes rather than resort to self-help or violence. What are, what are some specific benefits about the particular civil justice system that we have? Um, well, so um, 
there's a couple of, I'm just gonna highlight a couple. So in the book, I talk about um, uh, the ability of the civil justice system to give people answers. So sometimes what you want is accountability. Um, and that's what sometimes we see people even seeking only nominal damages. So in a very uh, high profile case, I don't know if you've heard about it, but um, Taylor Swift sued a man who had assaulted her. Um, and she asked for $1. Now you might say, why does she ask for only a dollar? And I think the answer is what she wanted was a public reckoning. She wanted him to answer for what he did. And she also wanted publicly to show the world, this is wrong. You shouldn't do this type of thing. And if, and I think I, I read her say something along the lines of, you know, if I, with all that I have, don't stand up for myself, you know, what are other people going to think? Um, and at least that, you know, it had some traction. So I think, so one thing is answers. People want accountability from others. Um, and especially, I think this is true in government-oriented litigation. People want accountability from their government as well. Um, another aspect, uh, another benefit is transparency. So a lot of times we find out really important information about regulators, about companies through litigation. We'll talk, I think, in a few minutes about the flip side of this. So everything has a negative, right? Um, but, uh, but that's one really important thing. So to give you an example from a recent case, there's a very big lawsuit uh, that I know you know about um, in, the, in Ohio against opioid manufacturers and distributors. And in, as part of that litigation, um, there, the information was revealed about where opioids were distributed in the US. And the Washington Post was able to create a really cool database that shows us the, the distribution of opioids, which companies distributed, um, uh, the drugs where. Um, and that's a really important public service and access to that information just wouldn't have happened absent litigation. Um, the same is true for the tobacco litigation. There was uh, there were lots of internal memoranda about um, carcinogenicity, about addiction that wouldn't have been released absent litigation. And people have written histories of tobacco in America using those documents. So they're really important public aspect of information forcing and litigation. Um, uh, oh, go on. Go ahead, no, go ahead. Oh, so there's a, an, an, a, a third thing. Well, I'll, I'll say two more things actually. So a, th a third thing is um, enforcement. So we need to enforce the law. We want people to comply with the law. Um, and one way of doing that is the threat of a lawsuit. Not always a lawsuit itself, but knowing, well, should I do this? I might be sued. Maybe it's a good idea to cook my hamburgers all the way through because if I don't, then somebody's gonna get a terrible disease. Not only do I not want my customers to die of E. coli, but I also don't want a multi-million dollar verdict against me, right? So it may deter people from misconduct. It allows us to enforce the law when people violate it. I think that's really important. Um, and finally, and this is more theoretical than real, unfortunately, in theory, litigation promotes social equality. That is having a courtroom, which is funded by the state that allows a person to come in there and stand up for themselves and be treated on the same grounds as anybody else, regardless of their income, where they come from, what their level of education is. 
that's a really important statement about like about fundamental human equality, if you can realize it. Um, and it's obviously a risk to empower people. We worry about people abusing whatever power we give them. Um, but on the other hand, it is pretty amazing that we have a system that allows an individual to sue, you know, the tobacco companies or, you know, a big uh, opioid manufacturer and say, you did me wrong. Um, or a powerful hospital, whatever the institution is that they think has done them wrong and force that institution to come and say, okay, well, actually I have a justification or here's my response to you. Um, it puts them on an equal footing that other institutions don't really offer um, in our society. And I think that is, an, that's really an underappreciated aspect of what litigation is capable of doing. Yeah, that's really powerful. I, I could sue Apple uh, or I could sue the president of the United States and, and those then those individuals or, or entities would then have to listen to me in some way. And that is really powerful. Um, yeah. and it's also risky, right? Because what if you, you know, go off willy nilly suing everybody because you want attention or something like that. So I understand it's a, it's very powerful. And as you know, we know with great power comes great responsibility, right? Um, but it, but nevertheless, I think, especially when someone feels that they've been very wronged, that this is a, this is an important thing to have in a society. So you did mention some downsides or some potential for abuses. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about those? Yeah. So the the biggest complaint, I think, um, although I'd be interested to hear what you think about what the biggest complaint is, but I think the biggest complaint is civil discovery. So we have a system that allows people to ask uh, for anything basically that's relevant to their lawsuit um, from the other side. There are some limits. So what you seek has to be proportional to the needs of the case, um, but it does give you pretty broad, um, either as a plaintiff or as a defendant, um, a pretty broad, um, entitlement to information. And sometimes that's information that people want to keep a secret um, for bad reasons. Like if you found out about it, then they would lose the case. But sometimes it's information that people want to keep a secret because it's really private, um, because it's, uh, let's say it's, um, you know, the secret sauce for their, you know, special barbecue, or because um, it's just embarrassing and they don't want to release it for that reason. Um, and producing it can cost a lot of money, um, especially today in the day of when everything's electronic, you think it would be easy, like, oh, I'll just do a control F and search for the right thing. But actually, it ends up being incredibly expensive because of the way that um, electronic information is stored, and there's so much of it. Um, and so that's, I think, um, that's a big complaint um, that we hear. And there's a lot of ways in which um, changes in our system are driven by concerns and fears about the exchange of information. So even though you defend litigation, you also realize that it's not perfect. So how, how might you reform our litigation system to maximize some of the benefits that you've articulated, but then also minimize some of these downsides and, and risks? Well, um, so this is hard, a hard question because um, there's so many nitty gritty things that you can think of. So I'm gonna say something that's kind of broad and 
um, to the extent that we have reformers listening, this is not going to help them draft the legislation at all. But I would say the number one thing I would like to see is a change in attitude. That is that we try to approach litigation understanding that people can really be hurt. And it's true that they may not have a great cause of action or they may have a great cause of action, I don't know, but that you're often dealing with real human beings and that what they deserve is recognition and equal treatment. Um, and I think where we see it, so I'll just give you a concrete reform that just gives an example. So one of the things that I think plagues the federal courts is um, uh, prisoner litigation. So you have a lot of prisoners who bring lawsuits and some of those lawsuits have no merit at all. Um, some of those lawsuits could have merit, but they're inartfully stated and others um, pretty clearly have great merit, right? And, um, and there, but there's a lot of it and judges I think don't really like it. And there was, a, there was a bill that was passed many years ago, the Prison Litigation Reform Act that puts incredible impediments on the ability of prisoners to sue. Um, and one of the things it does is it says, if you've brought three cases that we think are frivolous, you can't bring any more cases without paying this really high fee that you probably can't pay. And um, even if you do bring a case, you still have to pay the fee. It's just uh, prorated in a way that allows a prisoner to be able to bring it. And sometimes they can get a reduction. But the point is it's a three strikes you're out. Now let's say I'm a person who made, who cried wolf three times, right? But then the fourth time I have a real case. Now I'm not allowed to bring my case because I made three mistakes. Whereas uh, if I'm a person who has some wealth and I'm not a prisoner, I could bring a hundred cases. As long as I have the $400 to file in federal court, I can bring as many cases as I want. There's no rule that prevents me. And so there's something about, about that to, that's, that I find so troubling that it treats some people as not deserving of recognition. Um, and uh, sort of less than second-class citizens in some way. Now, I understand some people are in prison, but we don't formally, or we shouldn't formally treat them as second-class citizens, especially in the courts. Um, that it sends a terrible message, I think. So I, I think that kind of, and we have, I, I can name, you know, 20 other types of policies that have that same valence. And so what I would love to see is a, a change in attitude and an understanding that th this is a really foundational thing that the state provides access to civil justice. And there's really good reasons to do it in a civilized society and in a democracy where we want officials and we want people to be to answer for what they did wrong, where we believe in explanations rather than brute force. Um, and so we should fund our courts so that they are able to process the cases and aren't overwhelmed. And judges should have, an, and this is especially a crisis, by the way, in the state courts, which are profoundly underfunded. Um, but judges also, I think it would be nice if they had a, an approach to their job that even though sometimes they don't love the litigants and think that they're kind of annoying or frivolous or outrageous or whatever it is, that they understand that they have this incredible public trust and what their role is, is to, is to give recognition to people's problems and disputes, even when the, um, 
maybe they're, they don't have such great admiration for right, the, the people before them. And if you don't mind, I just wanna tell you like a tiny story that I think illustrates a judge doing a really good job in this context, which is um, in the 9-11 litigation. Now I understand that the 9-11 litigation obviously is gonna be one in which the judge is really going to care about the litigants, but there was a case that was brought by these firefighters and the case had to do with the way it was a, they, they sued the city of New York. Um, and the allegation was that they'd been given um, uh, walkie talkies. I'm sure there's a fancier name for it, but walkie talkies that weren't as good as what the police department got. And as a result, many of them were unable to get out of the buildings and died. It's, it's just a horrible tragedy. They lost the case on a motion to dismiss, which comes right at the beginning of the litigation. So they didn't have a chance at discovery and, and all the other aspects of civil litigation. They lost right at the beginning. But the judge gave them the opportunity to come in and explain to him what had happened to them. So it, he could have just decided on the papers, but instead he held an open hearing that anybody could attend and indeed members of the media came and, and they expressed to the court, this is why we're upset. This is how we were mistreated. And they lost the case. And I'm sure that they're very disappointed that they lost the case. But I think that the system worked in the sense that it, it recognized that they had suffered. It gave them an opportunity to tell a decision, a neutral decision maker, representative of the government, what had happened to them, right? And the other side did have to answer. Um, they had to answer, you know, they wrote that motion. And even though the answer wasn't what they wanted to hear, um, I think that was a really important process. So even when the process doesn't yield the result that you think, um, you know, as I'm sure the firefighters didn't think it was the right result, it nevertheless, I think, has these really important roles. And that's an example of a judge really caring, showing the litigant a lot of respect, um, and also allowing everybody else to hear about what happened to them, which I think was really important um, for that group of people. Well, that example, I think, brings us full circle and really helps to illustrate the answer to the question of what role civil litigation plays in our society. Alexander, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. This is fantastic. This episode was sponsored by the Center for Litigation and Courts at UC Hastings College of the Law. If you enjoyed this episode of Litigation Briefs, I hope you'll tune into future episodes. In fact, I hope you'll consider subscribing to our YouTube channel and audio podcast, which can be accessed through the Center for Litigation and Courts website at sites.uchastings.edu slash CLC. While you're at it, encourage a friend to do the same. This is Litigation Briefs, respectfully submitted, Scott Dodson.